Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is Sunday, December 4th. We are live from New York City here with Matthew Blumberg. Matt, how you doing today? I'm a little I'm a little tired. It's been a it's been a big week as they say. Um, it's been a big week. Happy birthday to Karan. Um, he is now 78 years old. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes, as well, I've been crypto trading years. crypto for five years. I look great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a big week. It's a nice weekend. Thanks for thanks for all the boys and girls for coming out. Uh, it's a nice, fun celebration. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about another celebration happening at the New York Times. A celebration of Sam Bankman-Fried, everybody. <laughs> yeah, what is this? What what exactly is happening, Matt? Um, okay, so the, the, the New York Times had its, uh, its annual uh, deal book summit, um, which... Uh, you know, it's like it's three of the most irrelevant words mashed together. Deal book summit. What does that even mean? <laughs> we we brought together thought leaders in the, in the, in the finance space, um, and you know there there was there was a fair amount of like uh, a little bit of backlash, a little bit of uproar, um, a little bit of hubbub um, around whether or not SBF was actually going to do this interview that he had previously scheduled with the New York Times. Um, and uh, and he said, look, you know, this is against the advice of my lawyers, which we can get into whether or not we believe that. Um, but like, I'm going to I'm going to do this this interview regardless. Um, and so uh, so he went on and I, th I think he spoke for a little over an hour um, just about all sorts of lies <laughs> um, or mis mistruths, as we might call them. Um, alternative facts. Alternative facts. Um you know, uh, it, it is, it, it, it's, it's worth touching briefly on, like, this is just the latest in Sam Bankman-Fried's, like, media circus, right? Mm -hmm. um, he is really making the rounds really quickly and effectively, um, and effectively mm -hmm. doing the opposite of what we saw a lot of players in the space do following their shutdowns earlier this year. So 3AC, we got, like, one tweet from them, uh, like, mm -hmm. you know, we are working, we, we are in, what was it, like, in the process of talking with the affected parties and hope to reach good outcomes soon or something. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. radio silence, right? Mm -hmm. um, Do Kwan, similarly, just, like, huge press tour going into the collapse of Luna and UST. Um, but then, like, pretty much radio silence thereafter. Um mm -hmm. And uh, and Sam has been basically doing the exact opposite, going mm -hmm. very much on the offensive, publishing fluff piece after fluff piece, uh, doing interviews with, you know, like the New York Times did one piece. It's kind of interesting, right? Because when you do like, uh, when, as a responsible journalist, when you do something like this, you're supposed to get like at least one other person to weigh in just as like a, like a source check or whatever. But they, mm -hmm. they didn't, they had no, zero comments from anyone, but SBF uh, right. on, on the fluff piece. Um, right. So here's the thing. The reason he's doing all this is because all these journalists that he talks to all these people so far that he's been on, like even these Twitter spaces he's doing with like random crypto, like scammer people, whatever. Um, like, or Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's the guy that hosted this from the New York times. Like they're not, very knowledgeable about the space. Like the reason he's doing this is because he's much smarter than them and he can control the narrative, right? He can go in there. He knows he has no other people that are going to try and go at the stuff he's saying, nor in many cases can they understand the stuff he's saying. 
And so he knows he can just do that. Uh, and so it, while that's the case, he's just going to keep doing this. So he knows, like, if he can't win in the court of law, he's going to have to try and win in the court of public opinion. And the mm -hmm. way to do that is to make things seem super complicated and make it seem like the people who are asking you the questions are actually the ones that are in the wrong or, 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 or stupid or um this this so is like that's... a very classic like crypto you know uh uh messaging approach right um like think about like all the times you've been on twitter and people are just like yeah man you know without telling you which coin like this one's going to the moon right mm -hmm. you have to be crazy to fade this and then mm -hmm. just like are, are you really gonna miss out on the trade of the year and on um and you know uh it's it's just like a fair amount of like gaslighting or like trying to make you feel like you don't know as much as the people who are informed um mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's enormously frustrating right because like to you know just my background right like i'm largely a self-taught programmer uh i took like one class and then like worked uh in in the coding space for like five years right um and none of this stuff is as hard as it seems Right. And so nothing like really grinds my gears quite like people trying to make things seem harder than they actually are, because mm. all of this is supposed to be about like inclusion and like going mainstream, wider adoption, peer to peer, like, you know, decentralized finance, like no trusted third party, like access. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And this is just like the exact opposite of that is like sending out this messaging that like you don't understand how margin trading works. Right. You don't understand mm -hmm. how liquidations work. Our liquidation engine was state of the art. Um, maybe, uh, yeah. and, uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's frustrating to see this, um, just on a personal level, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I also think that at some point people have to stop, you know, giving airtime to somebody who's quite clearly committed, you know, engaged in criminal activity. I don't know what is committed, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it is interesting, yeah, it, right? Because we haven't even seen the words like you, you read any of these pieces, even out of like slightly less biased publications like the Wall Street Journal, and it, the word allegedly never appears, right? Um, the, where, whereas like with most people that are like at least implied to have committed fraud and like financial crime, you'd at least have like allegedly in there somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. it, it just feels like mainstream journalism is like really dropping the ball on this. Um, mm. So what? Yeah, what I don't get? know. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think this is because he's so tied into all of these groups, right? Like Elon tweeted yesterday that SBF probably donated close to a billion dollars to politicians, <laughs> not the few million bucks that he uh, stated. So it's like, is he just so deep, deep state? Like, I don't know how you get so deep state in a couple of years, but uh, where he just has immunity from all media and all political groups uh or is it I, I have no idea i mean you know it's uh in in the u.s right like our justice system is largely unaffected or unelected public officials right mm -hmm. like you you can mm -hmm. vote for like your like local judges right um your local da's but you you can't vote for say the supreme court um, mm -hmm. or like a fair amount of the sec or like um any of like the financial crimes like regulators right um, so, you know, I, I'm usually not, believe it or not, one to, to really engage in alternative facts or like deep, deep state conspiracy theories. Um, but even I'm sitting here, like, 
am I living in an alternative reality where like SBF did like, you know, it seems like very, very clear that like, how else, how else could this have possibly happened? Like you start looking at the facts, you're like, all right, like FTX, like made loans to Alameda, which in turn made loans in the billions of dollars to entities that were fully a hundred percent owned by Sam Bankman Freed. And like from the fact pattern, it looks pretty clear what happened, but -hmm. from the media, you, you know, you could, you, you could look at it and think to yourself, oh, this is just a kid that got himself like in over his head. 100%. Absolutely. Like if, if you were not super in on this, like you would just think like, ah, man, like, I don't know what to think of of this situation. Like uh, such a shady industry, this good kid just like got corrupted and, you know, lost a bunch <laughs> of money. Um, like that looks like the narrative that the mainstream media is trying to paint. And it yeah. seems like it's very intentionally done, right? It's like, you wouldn't expect the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and all these other big media groups to all be aligned on this one thing where if you're even slightly aware of the facts, like you just know that's the exact opposite of the true story. So it's just such a weird, like mind breaking moment, right? Where it makes you not only question, but just almost like mentally revolt against any other like, uh, facts or news that you see out there just like what what, what is going on here you feel um, like you're being gaslit right like you're being led into like questioning your own sanity mm-hmm. um it, it's absolutely yeah. absurd um, yeah and it's and here, here's the thing like like you said right the supreme court is um appointed not elected most of our judges are, are same way right like so there is hope in the american justice system that you know, you can't just buy your way out of uh, jail time, right? Like, like Bernie Madoff still see, still saw jail time. Elizabeth Holmes just got sentenced, right? So whether or not he gets jail time is not obviously for me to decide, but there's still hope that the American justice system can, you know, play a role here. That's, we, we've not even gotten anywhere near that stage, right? So, um, but the thing that's very clear is that, you know, mainstream media, whatever kind of form that still exists in is just so dead beyond dead and just so irrelevant, right? Like the best pieces on this have been written by Coindesk and uh, even like Vox, like Vox was like the thing they wrote wasn't even bad. Like it was mostly just screenshots, but it's pretty good. And it's like Vox is a new, new age kind of media group. Like I think they got bought out by somebody, but still like, um, So, I don't know. Like, I, I think the SPF part of it, it just, at this point, we don't really have new facts. We don't have that much new that's come out. He said that, he's just on, on a media tour saying the exact same thing, right? Nothing's really come out. I think the, the bankruptcy process is just starting. It's going to take months, years to really play out. But uh, this media campaign is the, the thing that's, I think, most interesting so far. Uh, at least since the last time we talked about this, uh, and just the, just the framing of it all, it's just wild to see. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to touch on, I guess, a few things that, that SBF mentioned in this interview. So the, the first one is FTX US, right? So he's been like pretty adamant that like FTX US should have been solvent. He's like, we shouldn't, we never should have declared chapter 11 bankruptcy. I, I did it under duress by my, my bankruptcy lawyers. Um, 
And uh, had I not done that, FTX US customers would have been able to like withdraw their funds by now. Um, do you think that that's like him trying to ingratiate himself with like at least like the US domiciled entities that were affected? So that, um, you know, it's a little bit of like not not in my backyard, right? Uh, where, well, I'm unaffected because I'm an FTX US customer. So I don't really care if my like local justice system actually pursues SBF for, for financial crimes. Um, mm-hmm. Like what, what, what do you think is the angle there? In the most weird way, I almost believe that part. <laughs> like... Uh... <laughs> I mean, as, as a user, like it always it worked well for me, but also like, I don't know. I just think that our financial regulations in the U S are decent, you know, like they're, you kind of have to do a lot, uh, having worked at multiple exchanges, like, you know, operating the U S is, it's not easy. So, hmm. uh, for them to have gotten certain licenses and to be able to operate in a certain way, like, I, I think that there probably were solvent. I actually do believe that. Um, I would have expected that for the bankruptcy part of it, I don't know how bankruptcy filings really work, but it's like, I would expect that uh, whoever is coming in and purchasing these assets, like they would buy FTX US for the customer base and the assets that they still have as part of the bankruptcy negotiation or something like that. Um, And also as a part of the way to make, the rest of their customers whole like i i don't really know but um it it is strange that it was included in the chapter 11 filings right mm-hmm. yeah um, um so it I, feels I like they know, went with like, like a like a zero like a zero covid kind of policy where it's just like anything that was touched by spf just like declared chapter 11 bankruptcy except except for his <laughs> personal personal companies um, <laughs> yeah they're, uh, they're solvent <laughs> yeah they are solvent um what do you make so, yeah. of some of the responses to this stuff on Twitter? Like, um, did, did you catch any of the, like, Bill Ackman, I think, saying, like, oh, call God. me crazy, but I believe, I believe this guy just, like, got in over his head, like, after seeing that interview. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bill Ackman, like, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, Bill Ackman, who's the other one? Oh, Kevin O'Leary. Yeah, like, fuck him. Oh, dude. God. Like, they probably yeah. are just, like, they this is where it's like, this is where I think you should really be engaging in deep state conspiracies. Um, you know, this like, you just gotta like, kind of, kind of play with it. You know, I don't know. Kevin O'Leary is probably tied in some way to Sam's dad or something like that. And, uh, just got to defend their boy's name. And, um, you know, I don't know, like, dude, his dad being connected to like Gary Gensler and to like the whole MIT org and all that shit. Um, He's probably tied in with a lot of these people, you know, and so um, there's probably quite a quite a few people that are going to defend him. Yeah, um, but what do you think about the narrative that he's trying to spin around margin and like people having taken on margin positions, and therefore that's why he lost their capital? Do you think this is all just like him attempting to like over? complicate the story so that people fewer people are are able to follow the thread yeah i mean that's just a ridiculous thing to say um like his whole thing for years and years and years was about how their margin system was infinitely better than everybody else how the whole crypto industry was so stupid how they didn't have any idea how to build like a proper margin system um 
And so, like, some of the stuff he's saying is just so, like, preposterous that it's not even worth mentioning in my mind. Where it's like, oh, we just mislabeled the account until, like, $5 billion went missing. Oh, like, uh, yeah, you know, people were taking on too much margin. And so, like, yeah, we just we couldn't handle it. Um, some of those things, it's just, like, I, I get it that why he's trying to spin that right um but to me it's like the journalists need to do a better job of wholeheartedly and like really firmly saying like and like coming in with facts and being like dude you very very clearly don't believe this stuff because of this this and this like let's let's move past that uh to some actual substance like every interview i've watched it's basically the same thing Right. It's like the, the New York Times one. He said the same thing. Uh, he Which one did he go on? CNBC. Uh, basically the same thing. Um, uh, mm. What He's going on the block tomorrow. Uh, that that, that one might be, be interesting mm-hmm. because Frank yeah. and him are like boys from back in the day. So. Well, um, really? Yeah, dude. He's been on the block mm. like five times. Um, so that one will be super interesting. Um, I mean, I mean, I do, I do think that Frank Shaparo is one of the better journalists in the space, um, and I, and I think he's done a very good job of like covering this sort of stuff um, and like responsibly, like breaking news when it when it seems like there's enough like fact to substantiate it without like mm-hmm. spreading a bunch of rumors. Like I, I think Frank has been like the golden follow on Twitter throughout all of this. Um, but uh, yeah. I remember he tweeted like last week, he was like, yeah, it would be good to get like a crypto native journalist, like actually running the interviews here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because clearly like the, the people that Sam's been interacting with, like don't understand this as well as the users that, that were actually impacted. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that'll be something to look out for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to shill anyone here, but I, I would like to see him go on up only, uh, <laughs> which he will never do. Cause Kobe is actually a smart person. Um, yeah. So is Ledger, for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) Ledger's great. I love that guy. Um, Okay, let's move on from SBF. Um, Yeah. Uh, Fuck him. Um, Okay. (laughs) There's some cool stuff did happen this week, Matt. Um, If you are a DGEN trader, uh, you'll have some more tools to play with. Uniswap announcing its NFT play. So they acquired Genie.xyz a couple of months back, which is a aggregator, NFT aggregator. So, you know, if you want to make trades at, uh, you know, kind of look, look out for best pricing, you can connect to OpenSea, you know, LooksRare, PseudoSwap, all these different exchanges and make your trades all in one place. They have pretty cool, uh, you know, kind of smart contracts where you can, buy a bunch of different stuff all in one transaction um so that has all now been integrated into uniswap so if you go to their app there's a tab for nfts uh we were playing around with this earlier today what did you think it it looks uncannily like OpenSea. like all Mm. of the all of the css the whole interface just looks and feels exactly like OpenSea. super easy to use i'm i'm a huge fan i think it works Mm -hmm. really well uh, I never use Genie. I have used Gem like quite a bit, but I, I actually find that the user experience here is slightly better. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, one interesting thing is that Genie had announced that they were going to do an airdrop right before they got acquired. Um, mm-hmm. And Uniswap said, look, we're going to honor the airdrop request. 
-hmm. we're gonna give out five million dollars worth of like usdc mm -hmm. to all of the like historic users of of genie i thought that was really interesting right because yeah. it's an airdrop but not in the form of like a protocol native token it's just mm -hmm. in the form of usdc very smart in my opinion uh you don't need to be launching tokens and come back uh getting hit with securities laws fines yeah uh so <laughs> uh yeah it, did they did genie ever announce the actual token or i remember the ceo tweeting out dollar sign genie yeah that was uh <laughs> that was the announcement that's the announcement <laughs> of the announcement um yeah yeah it, it, like it, it's a fun thing to play with i don't know how much i'm gonna use it just because well actually i don't trade much do you think you're gonna be using this uh, I actually believe it or not, um, the, this is the best aggregator that I've seen so far. So this mm. is where I'm planning to trade on next time I nice. buy an NFT. Okay. Um, it's just it's such a nice interface. The pricing is like very like you know it's it's going to be top notch, right? Like they they have more exchanges integrated than any other platform that I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I wanted to touch on briefly is that like in a lot of collections, right? Like uh, the by far the cheapest like listing price. Um, is on PseudoSwap or one of these mm -hmm. other like zero royalties uh, platforms. Yeah. What do you think the aggregator space, you know, like you can see that like in the future, it's not going to be like people just going to OpenSea. You are going to go to an aggregator. Everyone's going to go to an aggregator. And at that point, mm. the, liquidity, the liquidity is aggregated across exchanges that pay royalties versus don't. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that does in the next cycle? Do you think like it's just over for royalties completely? And from now on, like people are generally just going to speculate on NFTs via platforms that don't enforce royalties. Um, or do you think like, yeah, like what, how, how do you think that plays out? I think the, we get to a social consensus pretty soon here within the next year, we get to a social consensus exactly of how royalties are enforced. There's part of it that can be done on chain, right? So OpenSea announced this thing called their, uh, the OpenSea royalty filter or whatever. It's basically just a little code snippet that you have to add in your smart contract. And if you add that, then OpenSea will uh, honor the royalties for your whole collection. If you don't add it, then it's going to become a zero royalty uh, platform, just like Pseudoswap, right? Hmm. So um, like people can choose to pay zero royalties if you don't include that code snippet. Right. Hmm. So, um, yeah, like in that sense, it's definitely going to zero royalties on chain, zero, zero royalties, like enforceable, like on chain, because it's not really enforceable on chain. Right. You're no, gonna always not, have yeah. to let people transfer NFTs from one wallet to another, which is in essentially what's going on in, in a sale. Right. Like you have a contract in the, involved there. Um, so I, I think that it has to come from like a social consensus. Um, I think the way it happens is that zero royalty trades, like, you know, they get treated differently by the collection itself. So they'll just say, like, if you don't pay royalties, you're not going to be eligible for future airdrops or for future engagements or whatever. You just get black sheeped. Um, hmm. There was one that I saw recently. Oh, God, I'm forgetting the project name. But they, they were really experimenting with something cool. Um, they were like... Oh, it was the guy who created Minecraft. He has his own NFT collection. He was like, hmm. basically, if you don't pay royalties, like you don't get 
uh it is similar to what i'm saying like no future airdrops no like n- no participation in like their environment you still get to own your like obviously they can't do anything about you owning the nft or anything like that but you basically get like socially ostracized hmm. <clears throat> um it, it is it is interesting right um because you know, historically, like a lot of the utility that projects have provided does come in the form of airdrops, right? Um, and, you know, we've seen like a lot less of that. But, you know, initially, like the the base case was sort of the board eight model, where mm-hmm. you have your like flagship high value, like more expensive collection, mm-hmm. uh, 10,000 of those. And then each of those like gets airdropped two of your next collection. So for mm-hmm. the apes, that was, uh, that was mutants, mutant. right? For Azuki's, that was beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for duplicator or for doodles, it was duplicators or who knows. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then potentially like a third collection and a token, like a fungible mm-hmm. token. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, you could imagine a world where, um, like, Maybe it's just exp- so yeah. So maybe what you do is like you penalize people that are not um, th- that like acquired their uh, their NFTs through zero royalty platforms or like exactly. paying royalties on the way. Uh, but you could also imagine um, that gets complicated, right? Uh, like who is to say whether a transfer from one of my wallets to another one of my wallets is the same as like an OTC sale, where like mm-hmm. it's unclear whether I like you know do I control both of those wallets? Like who knows? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's another, there's another uh, architecture here, right. Where uh, maybe everything just goes to zero royalties and you, uh, you airdrop like the right to purchase the next collection, but the next collection in and of itself charges you for, for minting it. So for example, maybe the, you know, you need a board ape in order to mint two mutant apes, but yeah. you still need to pay in order to get that done. Right, right. Yeah. So it's basically the other thing I was going to say is like there is the airdrop model and then the other version is the whitelist model. So basically, like you're saying, right, if you own a collection, you get whitelisted for the future thing, but you don't actually get it for free. Like you hmm. just you have the right to be in the, in the whitelist, right? Which is in many cases just as valuable because if it's the right whitelist, right? You get on it, the thing pumps, you get a 10x immediately or whatever, right? So yeah. have being in the whitelist, like this is why I think like uh, the like the social graph is really going to get built out from NFTs, right? Like participation in a project can easily be traced and then you can get whitelisted for the next thing or your wallet mm. can be used for a whole array of different things, right? A bunch of cool shit. So, um, yeah, mm. anyways, I don't think our listeners wanted that, but yeah, you just got a nice NFT royalty discussion. One more, one more question. Um, so, uh, what do you think about, uh, we, we've had a little bit of this debate before, but what do you think, do, do you think that the Uniswap, like obviously the, like Uniswap is great, right? It is the liquidity source for fungible tokens. Um, it, it's just kind of one, uh, at a social consensus level. Um, what do you think about the like project specific marketplace thesis? Uh, mm. where, where it's like, okay, Azuki wants to own the user experience for their project. So 
they're going to roll out a marketplace where you can buy and sell these things on their website, similar to like the, the punks website. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously with punks, it like, and now look like punks are also integrated into Mm -hmm. the Uniswap, like NFT, like aggregator. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you think that this sir, like this to me serves as like another nail in the coffin for this thesis that like, I've been pretty vocal about saying, look, people don't want to go to like, most of the time they don't want to go to like, a boutique NFT store. They don't mm-hmm. want to go to the Shopify of NFTs. They want to go to the Amazon where like all mm-hmm. the liquidity is. Um, do you think, uh, yeah, like, like what, just, what do you, what do you think generally? Um, do, I, do I was, think this aggreg- <laughs> so yeah, dude, I was actually going to say, I agree with all your points and I literally came to the exact opposite conclusion where <laughs> like, you know, when you mentioned like, you know, look, punks, uh, marketplace is now integrated into Uniswap, right? So I almost see like this thing already playing out. Like if you look at gem.xyz or if you look at even Uniswap, right? And you look at all the marketplaces that are on there, there's already like over 20, right? Um, so once this Uniswap thing picks up, I could totally see a model where each of these you know, Azuki, right? Like Azuki is the perfect model for this. If you go on Azuki, you have an Azuki, but if you go on there, right, they're building out this whole like collector page. They're building like a very, like they have the gardens. They're building a very like unique digital experience for their holders and for people like to engage with on their site. Like it's beyond just going there for trading, but I could totally see them having their own marketplace that like is also a very much an owned experience. The marketplace, like really it's just, it's just a contract, right? They just Mm -hmm. deploy the contract. You can interface with it on the Azuki website if you want to, but because of all these different aggregators, because there's Uniswap, because there's gem, because like, it's so easy to interact with any marketplace, right. Or with any aggregator, Right. Like any most people will still trade Azuki's on Uniswap, but they can also go to the Azuki.com website, check it out, like play in the gardens. And then if they want, they can like buy a bean. Right. Like because Azuki will probably build a much cooler experience for you to interact with, even on their marketplace. Right. You can view the traits in a much cooler way. You can see how it would look in different environments, like whatever, whatever. They're not going to leave that to Uniswap, but in terms of actual trading, like they know that the liquidity is all there. So they're going to want to tie into that aggregator. Mm, so interesting. So it, so it renders the liquidity sort of like a fungible, exactly. uh, like piece of backend infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they build out the front end for mm-hmm. the user experience that they want to provide. Yeah. Um, and then they probably only interact with ones that like do pay royalties or I, who knows. Right. Yeah. So the royalties, again, like they would be very much like socially enforced in some way, I think. Um, well, you got to imagine like, you go to the Azuki website, you click buy there. Uh, they're mm-hmm. probably not sourcing liquidity from someone like Pseudoswap that's like not in. Oh, no, no, no. Royalties. Yeah, definitely not on the Azuki page. Yeah. And then they would probably only work with the aggregators, like you said, that are enforcing royalties in, in some kind of way. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you you want to touch on the... Uh, Oh yeah, what's the other Uniswap news this week? More more Uniswap news. So a uh, proposal went live, I want to say Friday uh, afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the, uh, the long-awaited on-chain vote for enabling the fee switch, right? Mm. So um, 
so this this obviously touches areas of like securities laws that like you and I are like not very informed about. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but effectively, Uniswap is super successful, right? Um, it generates a ton of fees. Um, it generates them for liquidity providers, for the like Uniswap Foundation itself, uh, like the you know Treasury, right? Um, but the fee switch is something that will like it's meant to like directly provide a little bit of value for uni token holders um and what it does is uh for certain pools uh it will enable it, it'll change it so that 10 percent of the fees that people who are swapping are paying like buyers are paying um will go to uni token holders as opposed mm -hmm. to just all going to um all going to the you know to liquidity providers um mm -hmm. So the question, and, and so the, the, the proposal is to enable it for ETH USDC, um, ETH USDT, and ETH DAI pools. Um, now, the question is something like, is this going to incentivize liquidity providers to provide liquidity on a different platform? Something like a sushi swap, for example. Um, or do you think like people are going to be okay providing liquidity even at a slightly lower like expected rate of like, fee payment um do you, do you think they're going to be okay doing that uh on on uniswap still or do you think we see like a liquidity exodus yeah i'm trying to think why people would stay right it's because most of the liquidity is there so in terms of raw fees you collect more but in terms of the percentage you collect less yeah it's a bit of a mm. prisoner's dilemma right yeah. where like every individual person sort of has the incentive to like go to sushi swap and like provide liquidity there instead right and mm -hmm. look yield farming has historically been a lot like this um mm -hmm. because it generally hasn't been as dependent on like actual fees getting paid by users it's been dependent on just like the protocols paying out tokens right 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 um uh but you might see a world where it's a little bit less mercenary where as as you were saying like the raw revenue might still be higher on uniswap yeah if the liquidity remains there then users are still going to go there to swap um mm -hmm. and then you know it, like as a collective your incentive is or as an individual user at that point you know even though as a collective like the liquidity providers might be better off switching to uniswap mm. right uh or switching to sushi swap uh, as an individual, nobody has the incentive to switch today, right? right? Nobody has mm -hmm. the incentive to be the first one to switch yeah. to the sushi. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Hmm. I think with stuff like sushi swap, right? Like the reason that the liquidity is much higher on Uniswap is because it's a way better product. Um, at least if you ask me, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it offers more for the users. Um, the reason sushi swap even picked up is because of its token incentives. Um, and so. I don't think that lasts, right? And so, like, I do think most users will stay on Uniswap. Um, hmm. I think the way it gets beat is if something comes along and builds something either equal or better um, that offers some kind of value where you are also getting paid more, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, with the NFT product now, you're like, oh, Uniswap is just where I go to buy shit, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's exactly. Where, it's, it's where I go to lose money. Right? Mm -hmm, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Um, um, pretty interesting. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good, great play. Uh, if you ask me, like, because with NFTs, right, you have this definitely a big bifurcation, right? Where a lot of people are using them to, you know, flip. Um, but a lot of people are just 
buying, holding, doing all the random stuff with them, just like playing around, minting, doing all this stuff. And so Uniswap being what it is, being a place for traders, it just makes so so much sense to corner the market for speculators, like NFT speculators and traders and flippers, like, and doing it in a way where you don't really have to build out all this stuff and like build all these native experiences and things like that. Because clearly to me in the future, like NFTs are way more about, you know, digital experiences and, and like kind of, you know, community and ownership around that versus a lot of what fungible tokens were, were trading. And there's obviously a big part of NFTs that are about trading. And so like you just take, you just corner that market. So incredible move. Yeah. Uh, Uniswap truly becoming the bazaar here, right? Mm -hmm. Like the place where you go to, to hustle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, some guy tweeted out recently, like, I think you can list on one hand, you know, the people who have actually built something useful in crypto. He was like, yeah, it's Hayden Adams, like uh, the uh, Stani, uh, Ave, the, the compound guy, uh, Vitalik, uh, like Brian Armstrong. That's, that's probably it. <laughs> like, uh, Satoshi? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess he didn't include Satoshi in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um Hmm, interesting. Yeah. What about the yeah, tornado cash guy? He's still in prison. Oh yeah, true. R.I.P. Dude, come back. Yeah, he's he's um, being held without charges. I guess in the Netherlands, in the Netherlands, you're allowed to do that. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. pretty pretty yeah. bonkers. Um, no fly zone. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, cool. let's move on. Uniswap. Hats off, dudes. Um, okay, yeah. Next one, touching for me. Kraken laying off mm. over a thousand people. Uh, yeah, it really sucks. Um, are yeah, these like too many... customer support sales, like client success people or like business development or like not too many details. If you ask me, um, I've been seeing on my LinkedIn feed, a lot of like, um, people from the like, HR or recruiting side. Um, hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I guess much. I guess it makes sense if you're laying people off. It you yeah. Know, you don't need as many people bringing new people yeah, in. Right. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's tough to see, right? Uh, you know, Kraken had has been arguably like one of the marginal winners uh, out of the whole FTX, FTX debacle, mm -hmm, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesse Powell going on like a big media tour around things like how to run a fucking exchange right? Mm -hmm. um, around like how to not steal client money uh, mm -hmm. when they like deposit it to your exchange around like very pro self custody, right? Yeah. Like Jesse, Jesse Powell, Brian Armstrong, like people that have been in crypto for a while um, uh, also hold those like core beliefs in like self custody. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not a source of revenue for the exchanges. So it makes a lot of sense actually to, to try to encourage people to self custody and then use their exchange when they want to trade. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's obviously like shitty timing, uh, for, for Kraken to be, uh, having to like cut, cut jobs here. Um, yeah, not great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the industry is going to go through this still. Uh, I think I don't know. Not yeah. like I have an opinion here. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, not hiring advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not job advice. Um, no, no, no. Okay. Bitcoin mining. Back to our favorite subject. Uh, Dude, Bitcoin mining. Wild. Getting more wrecked than uh, maybe the NFT space. 
<laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's it's pretty intense right now. Um, what happened yeah. this week? Um, I mean, so this week we've actually started to see something change, uh, which is that hash rate is dropping. This has been pretty interesting, right? Is that we we really haven't seen a substantial drop in in hash rate, mm-hmm. even though we've seen obviously like Bitcoin prices like collapsing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is due to like the fact that like there's just a lot of credit available, or there was a lot more credit available for Bitcoin miners um, over this cycle than there was last cycle, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so if you wanted to like lever up on your expected future cash flows um, for mining. You could do that. You could take out loans against your Bitcoin, against your like future Bitcoin, whatever, um, and uh, use that use that capital to buy more miners, to strike like higher uh, capacity deals with like your local utility providers, mm-hmm. um, and then that enables you to like get a little bit stronger like pricing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been a bit of a delay function where for a little while everybody was still adding new miners online. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were still mining more than they were this time last week or last yeah. month or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like hash rate was hitting all time highs while prices are just going down. Yeah. And I mean, that's brutal if you're in the, you know, if you're in the mining space, right? Because that directly reduce that directly increases the amount of like hashes you need to do in order to like mint your, your marginal Bitcoin. Yeah. Like you're um, earning less and you're spending more essentially. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not great for a um, business. And so what we've seen is like pretty large scale minor selling of their Bitcoin. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've yeah. seen like a lot of Bitcoin get transferred to exchanges directly from miners. Right? Like there's a there's a guy Will Clemente who does a lot of like on chain like Bitcoin mm. and Bitcoin on chain analysis. Mm. Right? Shout out Raymond um, loves Will Clemente. <laughs> um. He's uh, he does he does a pretty good job. Obviously, like there's not really that much you can do with on-chain analytics on Bitcoin not for because Bitcoin, it's yeah. just transfers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he's but he's pushing it to the limits, man. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and so you know, we'll comment a fogging that like a lot of miners have been selling. Um, pretty pretty dramatic dramatic sale pressure. We've got public companies that are that are mining um, Bitcoin that are you know, issuing warnings that like, they may have to just like shut down operations. They may no longer be solvent. There, there are bills that they're like unable to pay. Right. Um, and so we're sort of starting to see the corner get turned here where miners are not adding new hash power. In fact, they're, they're taking miners offline. Um, and so we're expecting to see the largest difficulty drop of 2022 coming in the next difficulty update. Um, should be something like, six to ten percent uh decrease in total difficulty which represents like a pretty large percentage of like hash power just being taken offline yeah um we gotta wonder is like are these miners that people are shutting down because they don't have access to like good electricity prices and so are they gonna like sell these machines to Mm. like stronger miners who are in better better financial positions have better long-term energy like pricing contracts um or, and so like, do, you know, is this a temporary blip in hash rate uh, or is this like closer to, you know, a, a stickier change where in order to see these miners come back online, you just have to have higher Bitcoin pricing. Yeah, I do think it's going to be the latter. And I think that the latter happens in a weird way uh, when hash rate starts to go down. 
right? Because you can see the second and third order effects of this, right? Hash rate goes down, miners start earning more, miners have to sell less to cover their costs. So sell pressure goes down, right? So the general sell pressure that miners would, you know, be putting on the market, which is quite a bit, is reduced. And so prices can start to rise a little bit. Um, but not, I don't not think super different quite... from the halving, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a way, yeah. Um, so I, I don't really, really quite think we're there, but um, that's you know, that's how that's how things generally start. Hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It is interesting this sell pressure thing, right? Like, have you checked out? Um, have you checked out ultrasound money recently? Uh, no, but I know ETH is back to being inflationary. Uh, it's just flipped, uh, the inflationary, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Boundary. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was deflationary for a couple of weeks, okay. um, following you, all the FTX drama. Yeah. Can you explain how all this happens? What, when it becomes inflationary, when it becomes deflationary? Yeah, for sure. So there's, um, there, there are really two core components to like ETH monetary policy right now. Mm -hmm. Um, the first one is something called EIP one five five nine that was introduced, uh, like middle of 2021. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and what this does is every time someone sends a transaction, they have to pay gas fees, right? Um, some percentage of the fees, uh, are going to get, are, are getting burned now, mm -hmm. decreasing the overall like circulating supply of ETH, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, prior to EIP-1559, all the ETH went to the miners, right? Mm -hmm. um, now some of it is getting burned. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like the first core component, right? Mm -hmm. Where if ETH is like in super high demand, you could imagine like overall, like the total existing supply can, can decrease over time, right? If block space is like super yep. expensive. Um, there's another core component here though, which I think is kind of slept on, which is that since the merge, um, overall issuance of like, like gross issuance of ETH decreased by about 90%, mm. right? Um, because prior to the merge, we had to pay miners and miners mm -hmm. had like real, like high electrical costs that they mm -hmm. like needed to, you know, they, we needed to like subsidize their, the security budget of the network effectively. Um, mm -hmm. and so in order to keep the miners up and running, you had to pay them ETH and they had to sell the ETH right into the open market. Yeah. Um, theoretically, you know, decreasing ETH prices, right? Mm -hmm. Um so when and you know like a 90% drop in issuance is pretty big, right? This is bigger yeah. than a Bitcoin halving where it decreases by 50%, right? Um 90% is like two halvings, right? Plus yeah. you have EIP1559, which will substantially change the tokenomics, right? So mm -hmm. um obviously like ETH demand has been relatively low since there's like just not as much fun stuff to speculate on. And mm -hmm. like that was really part of what you know, that was a huge part of like what drove like overall like high demand for block space in the network last year, right? Mm -hmm. Um but uh but even with that, right, for say last week, the week before, you had a lot of people that were and and this wasn't like crazy like high gas prices or anything. It's just like a little bit more marginal demand to like move your ETH to cold storage or like take your ETH from one exchange and put it into another or whatever. Um, or like anytime there's like volatility, people are going to be like trying to like arbitrage like on-chain versus off-chain like exchange rates, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of those things add up to like a little bit more marginal demand for block space. And so 
and, and it doesn't have to be a lot, right? I think it's in the 20s uh, in terms of GUI pricing. Mm. Um, at that point, ETH becomes deflationary. So I net see. new issuance becomes negative. Mm. Um, so this is pretty interesting, right? It, it's just flipped to being inflationary again as of like a couple of days ago. But there's this really cool website called ultrasound.money mm-hmm. um, where you can look at like how much like net new ETH has been issued over like like since the merge, right? Um but you can also click a little button that says simulate proof of work. And this is a pretty, pretty striking visualization, right? Mm. So when you click this button, it shows you, you know, net new ETH issuance has been around, I think it's five, 50 basis points per year. Okay. No, sorry. 0.5 basis points per year, 0.005%, right? Okay. Half a basis point per year um, on average since the merge versus before the merge had we like continued with proof of work 3.58 percent per year i see Um, and that's i guess taking into account like the the burn as well from eip 1559 right Mm. um so that that number is also subject to change Mm. um versus bitcoin which is do you know what what percent per year bitcoin is inflating uh, i opened up the chart so yes i do know it's 1.716 percent um, yeah, so so pre-merge ETH, 3.6%. Post-merge ETH, half a basis point. Mm. Bitcoin, 1.7%. Mm. Um, I find this pretty interesting, right? Because in the Bitcoin space, people talk a lot about miners and selling pressure and difficulty and how many coins are like in the money, out of the money on like an average like cost to mine like basis. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, are, are miners holding, are miners selling? Like um, who's capitulating, right? Uh, but we don't tend really to talk as much about these like supply demand dynamics in ETH, partially because there's uh, like more complicated stuff to talk about. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like when you look at on-chain analytics on ETH, it's like way more complicated than like the stuff that like Will Clemente is doing on Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's also partially just like the mindset of Bitcoin is very, very like constrained supply cap driven. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all about like this meme of like 21 million coins. Right. Right. Um, whereas with ETH, there's all sorts of other stuff going on and it's more dynamic and you know, it is a dynamic supply cap. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but to me, this is something that I don't think like a lot of people have really fully processed, which is that once demand for block space increases substantially, like if we were anywhere near where we were a year ago, mm-hmm. this would be a very notable um, dynamic within right. the the like ETH markets, right? Yeah, is that there really is just a lot less ETH coming online for people yeah. to sell. There's just very little ETH online, and also very little demand for that ETH. Um, yeah, but you can see how sensitive it is, right? To like it'll go deflationary if like demand for box space goes up even a little bit, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting time. Um, yeah. Okay, a couple more things, rapid fire round, and then we will split. Then up only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know what happened next. <laughs> uh, Art Basel's going on right now. A lot of announcements of announcements, a lot of Twitter spaces, a lot of like, I don't know, random parties I'm seeing. A lot of good memes. Um, I feel like our our audience is not that in the, the NFT scene, but I don't know if you are, tweet <laughs> us or something like that. Um, but something notable did happen. 
we are very proud members of the pudgy penguin community join the huddle everybody pudgy penguins partnered with sotheby's for a uh rare uh nft auction how much did it go for uh it was 200 million in total oh my lord unbelievable uh yeah pretty pretty bizarre to see like who's buying 200 million dollars worth of pudgy penguins right now uh like, yeah that's wait that's insane i didn't know it was that high that's actually wild <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that's really cool uh average of 13 grand news, each yeah. nice okay <laughs> yeah that's cool um yeah um so uh you know okay wait 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 wait. i think sorry, it's not 200 million. less than Did 200 grand yeah oh sorry 200 <laughs> ah, yeah we don't want to be spreading flood to our listeners here <laughs> uh yeah they only put 10 of them up for auction they sold it for like four ETH each or something like that um yeah no nah, off sold by for like just a few ETH. decimal points off by just a couple <laughs> basis points here um <laughs> um yeah shows how relevant that was but you know it's cool to see the pudgies are yeah. pumping pudgies up to like three point whatever ETH. So yeah, this probably means zero to like most people that are listening to this. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we're almost, we're almost an hour into the episode. We could talk yeah, about it. Like, we probably won't even have anyone text us yeah. like, about this. Like who's listening right now. Yeah. It's basically just Vlad. <laughs> this is what we should do. If you're listening right now, uh, we'll give you, we're going to mint our very first NFT collection. So if you are still listening, whatever format you're listening on YouTube, or, you know, if you're listening on Spotify or wherever else, like you can tweet at us, you can leave a comment in the uh, episode itself. We'll find all of them and uh, you will be the first to receive our decent NFT collection. Um, nice. Yeah, I've been meaning to do that. Uh, so yeah, great. Final nice thing. Alpha leak there. <laughs> yeah, nice little alpha leak. Uh, 53 minutes in. Um, okay, sweet. Final piece of news. We haven't done this in a long time, but you know, France just won their World Cup match today, so I think it's time. Dun 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 dun. dun. Macron corner. Matt, take it away. <laughs> okay, our our Macron analysis here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so this is, you know, I, I don't know if it's like officially, officially confirmed, but mm -hmm. there's a, there's some pretty reasonable sources now, uh, saying that several cities in China are going to be relaxing their COVID restrictions, um, no longer requiring proof of negative tests to do things like go in public transport or like attend like events or like go into like public spaces effectively, mm. um, no longer running like mass testing, like require requirements, mm. um, so these are generally, I would say, tier two, tier, yeah, probably tier two cities. Uh, like they're large, like Hangzhou, Ningbo, Wenzhou, Taizhou, and Shaoxing. I don't know. I, I don't actually know where Shaoxing is. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, Hangzhou and Ningbo, they're pretty close to Shanghai, right? Um, and so you got to think that like geographically, like Shanghai is like around the corner, right? Mm. Because if you if you no longer have to like test in Hangzhou, there's no way that like you're gonna like remain required to test in Shanghai. Mm. So, um, could be, could be interesting to see, obviously we've seen like a fair amount of like protests coming out or, or public demonstrations, right. Um, mm -hmm. the last week or so, uh, with some fairly heavy handed, uh, like crackdowns on that from yeah. the, from the government. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but maybe people are being heard is the is sort of the thing to look at here mm. uh and china obviously like pretty committed to this zero covid thing that's going to have pretty big implications at a macro and economic level <laughs> um, i mean zero so covid has to be to done now right like if they're going to actually open up these cities and not do testing and stuff like it's it's zero covid can't be a thing yeah, I mean, it hasn't been really a thing in a in a long time. Um, we've got seven day average of thirty six thousand new cases per day, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just according to like the public stats. Who knows what the real number is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's not zero; it's thirty something thousand. And so at that point, uh, you know, are we going to see like a capitulation? Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, mm. Mm. Few more openings than up only. <laughs> cool you got anything else uh no let's uh let's go enjoy the weekend it's pretty nice Sweet. out. it's really nice out well that was our recap everybody of everything that happened we'll be back this tuesday for part three of bitcoin month uh even though it's the next month but yeah we're, we're staying at it um so <laughs> this yeah. is a bitcoin podcast this now. Is now a bitcoin <laughs> podcast um yeah hit us up for those nfts we'll be back in a couple of days have a good weekend everybody till then stay decent Uh, none of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, if you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, until next time, stay decent. <laughs>